Good morning, Church at the Red Door. How are you today? It's so uh, good to be with you. Uh, what a privilege it is for us that you would tune in to a Sunday morning or whenever you might be watching this and, uh, you know, be, feel like this is a trustworthy place where the Word could be uh, dissected and you could grow spiritually. So for those of you who are part of our community, I know this is this is the week. This is one year we have not been face-to-face. -face. It's a uh, I couldn't fathom that it would have been a year without actually meeting, but such is the world we find ourselves in. So uh, we welcome you this morning. Uh, I'm excited, as I always am. I'm always excited uh, about where we're going to go this morning. We're going to finish up Luke chapter 4 as we take this journey through, again, the life of Jesus. And so uh, are you ready? Let me. Uh, I know Randy prayed, but let me pray one more time. Lord Jesus, we pray that your spirit would superintend this morning that you would speak to our hearts in some very profound ways. And I'm praying, Lord, that this is something that you would speak to me this morning, that you would uh, impact my soul as I think about and ponder these scriptures, even as I'm talking about them, even more than I have this last week. So, uh, Lord, be with us. Change us and comfort us, those who need to be comforted. Uh, Lord, give us balance, spiritual balance in our lives. And, Lord, let us always have an eye to the future, which is uh, your kingdom ultimately consummated, but now present. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you've got your Bible, I want you to go to Luke chapter 4. We're going to uh, look at verses 42, 43, and 44, and we're going to launch from there, and we're going to kind of go all over the place. So are you ready? Hang on. Here we go. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. Uh, when the day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. And this is going to be a big part of what we're going to talk about today a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him. And he came to him, and they came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. And he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So here we have a very short little glimpse culminating uh, after Jesus already had, again, as we've looked at the last three weeks, stood up in that synagogue in Nazareth, made this profound claim that Isaiah 61 was actually being fulfilled in their hearing. Uh, incredible moment, as I tried to express to you over the last few weeks, incredible moment. He then really proved himself, uh, and that's what he was doing uh, by taking control, dominion, if you will, over both the scene realm through healing and other things, raising the dead, and also the unseen realm by confronting the demonic. And as we saw, as we saw the last few weeks, the demonic knew exactly who he was, and yet he shushed him. You know, he kind of gave him the shush. And uh, and so there's where we find ourselves today. And then all of a sudden things are building. I mean, he's going back. He's healing, as we saw last week. He healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, we progressed on. Many were coming. He was healing everybody. Uh, his fame was spreading. And then we see this, I mean, he's setting up shop. I mean, this is beautiful. And, and then all of a sudden, he's ready to roll. Or he, he roll, he goes up to a mountain, a secluded place. You know, Jesus never fits into our categories. You would think at the moment that he gets this momentum that he would, you know, buckle down, bear under, and just begin to say, okay, I'm going to really grow this. And yet he's off to a secluded place. You know, one of the things that I think we have to realize is that Jesus was absolutely, absolutely committed to prayer. I think one of the things that we need to do when we talk about modeling Jesus' lifestyle, 
So as an apprentice of Jesus, we are called to model his lifestyle, and he was absolutely, unequivocally dedicated to prayer. Secondly, and what we see here, is that Jesus had a, an absolute recognition of two things. Of his calling, uh, there are things that I have to do. He had a, a clear picture of his calling. He knew the purpose for which he had been sent. And yet, he also had a recognition of his limitations. And I think we, and let me just, let me just open up. I'm, this is going to be my little, uh, this will be my therapeutic session for you this morning. Thank you for sitting in on my therapy. Uh, for some reason, over the last month or so, uh, article after article, people have sent me uh, a book that I was given, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by uh, Southwest Community Church, actually gave this book to me, which I was very appreciative of, actually texted back with Ricky Jenkins, the senior pastor at Southwest, and talked a little bit about it. He said he was being impacted by it too. And then another article that I was sent by my dear long 20 multiple decade friend Jeff Hopper at Lynx Players and why it's important for a pastor just to sit and stare out the window. Very interesting and intriguing um, picture. And then other articles that I have been reading and then my own sense of hurry, filling my schedule, boom, 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 everything, and feeling a little overwhelmed, not being great at multitasking. I mean, all these different things that were kind of pressing in on me uh, over the last few months. And I realized that the Lord had something he wanted to say. And then all of a sudden we're in Luke chapter four and here's Jesus going away to a secluded place, recognizing both a calling Okay, so we all have to understand, we, we talk about that all the time, trying to get a sense of our calling and then balancing that with the limitations of being in a physical body. God, when he took the form of Jesus, when Jesus took the form of a man and came to earth, he recognized that he was constraining himself in some very profound ways, not the least of which he was inhabiting a body that was not omnipresent. He, he wasn't everywhere at the same time. He wasn't the spirit. Uh, he was in a human body with all of its limitations. And so it's both a vision of the image of God that we have and being created in the image of God, what? Well, we have purpose and calling and, and unlimited future uh, in terms of what God has called us to do. I mean, the future is bright ahead of us. There are great works that we're gonna accomplish. And yet, at the same time, we have to recognize that we also have some profound limitations. And as I get older, I recognize more and more the limitations that I have being in this physical body. I've got to tell you, I hate one of the things that has been one of my most challenging things as it relates to links and Church at the Red Door and all the different things that kind of circle in my life and Israel College of the Bible, things that I'm committed to, other ministries here, and but most importantly, you and the community is that as my time as, as, as the view gets wider in terms of ministerial opportunities, my opportunity to connect on a personal basis becomes more and more limited. I mean, early on in my ministry, uh, it was a smaller group of people. I could call people all the time, and now, now I, feel, I just feel a constant state of frustration that I'm not able to connect with as many people or as often as I would like. I used to be able to cover the gamut. I simply cannot. And it's frustrating to me, and, and I think what the Lord's been speaking to me over these last few weeks and even months is that, Jeff, you don't recognize that, yes, you're created in the image of God, but you're also dust. <laughs> you are dust. You are in a human tent, and you don't have the capacity uh, to, 
to do all the things that you every everybody else wants you to do. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I want to talk a little bit first about modeling Jesus. I then want to talk about why would we do that? Why? Because there are greater things in front of us. And I think that's clear in Jesus' life. Then I want to look at the challenges to modeling the life of Jesus, both from others and then also internally. And then also, uh, how would we go about practically implementing some of these lifestyles of Jesus? So I know it, it may seem like I'm drawing a lot out, but when I read that Jesus went to a secluded place, it grabs me. Jesus going off on a mountain, you've heard me talk about it, but practicing it is something very challenging for me, and maybe it is for many of you as well. So here's some things that we know. Jesus was absolutely, and when we think about modeling the life of Jesus, he was devoted to time away, quiet time. He was just absolutely devoted to quiet time. And for him, he just couldn't stay right there in the camp. He would go off. Now, I think, again, I think some of the reasons just to see the majesty. And I wonder how packed his schedule was when he went up on the mountain. He said, I gotta go to this, and I gotta do this, and I gotta pray for this guy, and this, and this. Or was it just more of a quiet, meditative sense of silence and solitude with his father? I mean, we'll never know the full extent of it, but I have some thoughts on that. And then secondly, as I alluded to earlier, Jesus recognized both that he was created in the image of God, as Mark Comer talks about in this book that I alluded to a minute ago, and he also recognizes his shortcomings, his limitations, not his shortcomings for Jesus, but his limitations, being in a human body. And the fact that he was, in fact, dust. And, but all of this is predicated on one thing. He's, he knows that he has a calling and his limitations, but he's still going to go. But he's going to go with balance. And that's part of the lifestyle of Jesus that we want to look at again this morning. You know, as I think back over my ministerial lifestyle, uh, my lifetime, I look over a few things, and, and again, as I alluded to a minute ago, one of the most difficult things I've had to do is, is, and I say this, it has often led to hurt feelings and misunderstandings when there were moments in time that I felt like the Lord said, go. I'll just tell you straight up, when we launched Church at the Red Door some five years ago, there were Maybe not hurt feelings, but there was some discouragement, I think, on the part of the ministry that I had been involved in for so many years and am still involved in, but they knew that it was going to draw a lot of my focus away from other things. And, I, and, I, and I, that was frustrating to me to imagine that somehow you let somebody down. But if I hadn't been, and I, now I say we collectively, a group of us, believe without any shadow of a doubt that God had called us in this season to launch Church at the Red Door, I wouldn't have done, done it. But I knew how challenging it was going to be to navigate that. I think of another incident. Some of the founding of Church at the Red Door years before with the Solis family, when we used to do the living room, some of you are, were participant in that. We'd have 100 people sometimes show up at their home, and they, we did that for three and a half years. And when we felt like the Lord had said, stop, it was so hard. And just like Jesus they tried to keep us from going away. You know, people want things to stay the same. It's part of our nature. It gives us a sense of security. It gives us a sense of, of well-being when things are the same, week after week after week, year after year, because we know what to anticipate. There, we don't, there's no fear usually involved in it. And when things begin to shift seismically, some people are very caught off guard and they become very unstable. Not so much with Jesus. He knew when his time was finished. He knew when that moment was, and he knew he understood his calling to go. And, and I've just got to tell you, that's been super challenged for me. And all of this, again, 
is predicated on one thing, has the Lord spoken, go. And that is the process of due diligence that then requires us to get away. Here's my question to you this morning. When you have those big, why in the road decisions, is your first instinct to just do the pros and cons list or is your first instinct to go to a secluded place? To practice the lifestyle of Jesus, to model the lifestyle of Jesus so that we, as apprentices of Jesus, we have to understand, we have to live into what he did, see how he operated and practice what he practiced, living in that earth suit that he did for 33 and a half years. Is that something that really guides you through life? Is the secluded place? Or is it the noise and the trumpeting and people's expectations and people's desires for you? Do they encroach? Do they they reach in and overtake uh, you at various points? Well, I think we would all uh, recognize. Well, now I want to talk to you just a little bit about why. Why is this so important to model the life of Jesus? Because there are greater works in front of us. Look, you can't, if you don't have ears to hear, if you don't understand, if you can't conceptualize and think and vision and dream and be away in a secluded place to hear, then what happens is you're always kind of stuck in the present. I mean, stuck in in where you are now. You never really take that next step in your spiritual journey to accomplish things. I think often about, you know, Marilyn Meberg. She, I hope she's okay with me sharing this, Marilyn. Uh, you can you can send me a, a hateful text after this message. But Marilyn and I had talked a little bit, and I was just interested in, in her story and her transition from what she was doing in her occupation to going and, and actually taking on this task at Women of Faith. Now, she couldn't have possibly seen the future. She couldn't have possibly seen um, them packing stadiums with twenty and 30,000 women at a time. She couldn't. I mean, maybe she could kind of have dreamt it a little bit, but there was a point when she had to leave a place of safety to go what? to what God had called her to, which were, I would call, greater works in her own life. Of course, she could have stayed where she was. It was financially secure. There were a lot of other things that uh, would have prevented her if she would have done a pros and cons list, but she wanted to listen to the voice of the Lord. And as a result, unbelievable, it far surpassed her expectation, and I think the expectations of virtually everybody. And I also know Bill McCartney, you know, Bill, uh, Coach Mack, who started Promise Keepers. We spent about a year together doing some ministry together and got the chance to travel and hear his story. It just started with, he was a football coach and felt like there was a calling on his life. And, and he made some very significant steps looking ahead to the greater works. Let's go to, if you will, John chapter 5. 18 verse 20 and pick up exactly this sentiment in Jesus' life. It's a reflection of a prayer life, a secluded life that wasn't, you know, impacted by the noise around him. I mean, he had people pressing in on him in Luke 4. Stay here. Don't go away. Don't go from us. And yet he said, well, I have to. Where did he get that moxie? A secluded life a prayerful life. Now listen to what he says in John 5, 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Again, has Jesus claimed to be God? Over and over, everything he did was a declaration either directly or indirectly of his divinity. Now, please understand that. The whole gospel of John is written for that purpose. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, unless it is something, now catch this, he sees the Father doing. How does he see it? What does he mean by seeing it? Sees the Father doing? Secluded moments, isolation, silence, 
You might call it twiddling your thumbs, you know, staring out, meditative. Lord, what do you have? Father, what is it that you have? But he sees the Father then. He, his mind is finally cleared from the clutter and he can see in and see the plans of the Father. And he says, then I don't do anything but that. That's what he's saying here. And why? That's the question. For whatever the Father does, these, thung, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things he himself is doing. And can I say, the Father loves you this morning. If you, if you have faith in Jesus and you've given your life to the kingdom through Christ and his atoning blood has come in, you're part of the family and he loves you. He loves you and he's interested in showing you what the greater works are ahead of you. Say, well, you know, I'm a little past that. You know, if I was, if I was in my 30s, maybe I'd do something. Or maybe if I was in my 40s or 50s, maybe, stop for a second. We see over and over some of the most glorious acts are done in the last seasons of people's lives. Biblical figures. I think of many of them. You know, Moses, was, Moses wasn't a spring chicken when he, he marched into Egypt. Uh, I mean, we look at it over and over. Abraham was pretty old when Isaac was born. I mean, Many of the greater works, uh, these acts of faith, were built on years of the God life, the prayerful life, the secluded life, the, and then the learned obedience through that process. Don't say, I'm too old, I can't. Let me tell you something. Many of you, there are greater works ahead of you if only you will, again, model, listen, be contemplative, and think through this. And then lastly, for the Father loves the Son, He shows Him all things that He Himself is doing, and the Father will show Him greater works than these so that you will marvel marvel at what marvel at the glorious nature of the father marvel at his kingdom marvel i mean do you desire that other people marvel at the greater works that are ahead in your life not at you i i spent some time talking to some men earlier this week just talking about you you're not the hero of your story, if you are, that's going to put a lot of pressure on you. Jesus becomes the hero of your story. They are marveling at him through the greater works that God wants to accomplish through you. Think about it. It's a powerful thought. Jesus said, look, there are greater works here that you're going to see, and you will marvel at my Father. Those similar plans are available to you, to you who are willing to be secluded, to be isolated, to get away from it all. So we've got to get away, we've got to listen, and then ultimately we have to act on that direction. And we've talked about how that happens, how you hear the voice uh, many times before over these last four or five years. But again, isolation, silence, solitude is absolutely central to this. So what are some of the challenges setting us back from seclusion, from maybe even then acting on it, going away, maybe a shift in some of the things you've been doing, some of the relationships that you've had? to arrive at those greater works? What are some of the challenges? Well, I'll tell you, they're just people. And you'll remember Peter, we've talked about it twice over the last few weeks. Peter, Jesus, no, you're not gonna go to the cross. It was not Peter's vision for Jesus to go to the cross, to go back to Jerusalem, be crucified, and die. That was not Peter's vision. And he, you know, and Peter, from Peter's perspective, he was incredibly well-intentioned. There are very well-intentioned people in your life right now that will, in some ways, either spoken or unspoken, challenge you to some of the things that God's calling you to do now. And it may even be a spouse. And it may, now I'm not saying you can just take you know, unilateral decisions and decide you're going to move everything apart from your spouse. That's not very wise. But I'm talking about little things. Maybe your spouse 
uh, doesn't doesn't like it when you get up early and get away and spend too much time in the Word or something like that. I mean, I, I, I've spent a lot of time around people and their spouses are not moving in tandem with them on their spiritual journey. And as they go forward, the spouse kind of is, whoa, what are you doing here? Are you getting too fanatical? Are you getting way out of line here? Uh, some of those things. And yet we are called, uh, we, we must do that irrespective, or your children. Yeah, mom and dad, don't move away. Don't do this. Don't do that. I mean, there are so many different pressures in life that will pull you back. There are other people who really want your best interest. They don't want you to suffer. Can you imagine? I have some good friends here, and, and uh, we, uh, Church of the Red Door, uh, some of our folks are actually helping support them, and they're in the Middle East, and I know their parents well. It, you think that was easy to see your grandkids and your kids move away as missionaries to the Middle East? Are you kidding me? You don't think there might be a subtle dig? They're like, well, I'm not going to be able to see my grandkids. You really can't do this. I, You know, there will be people well-intentioned and they don't want to see their children suffer in any way or, or that's a dangerous place in the Middle East, especially when you're taking the gospel in behind the walls here. I mean, it's unbelievable uh, that are constructed in the Middle East, tribally and otherwise. I mean, how difficult this life may be and how subtle it can be, the challenges of others. And yet, if you've heard in your heart that this is the Lord's call in your life, you must go. Why? Because the greater works in your life are in ahead of you. And they want, again, what they perceive to be your best. And that may be a challenge to what God's calling you to do because people don't understand what's in the future. God knows the future. He knows the callings on your life. Other people don't, as well-intentioned as they may be. Some of you have come to me for counseling through the years, and I always tell you, there's only one thing I can tell you. There's only one unassailable counsel I can give you is listen and act on what you, the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. Now, I can say, I have a hard time believing the Holy Spirit may leading you that way or through biblical counsel or something like that. But in the end, the only unassailable counsel is act on what the Lord has called you to do. And again, they want, uh, they want what they perceive to be your best, no suffering, but, but again, the greater works, the fruit, usually is in the future, and you're going to have to press through some of the constraints that people, again, want to put on you. Uh, and they, because they're going to want you to stay and do what you've always done, and they are comfortable with these things, and they don't want them to change. And I think that's what we're seeing here in Luke chapter 4. They love a healing man being in their presence. They love this master teacher that, that's confounding them, that he's speaking with authority. Please don't leave Jesus. And he says, well, I have to. It's part of my calling. Now, my tendency is to go, I can do everything. You know, I can just do it all. I can just do everything. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have multiple callings, but boy, do you need to be aware of your own limitations. Uh, have, and I'm just talking from a personal experience now, learning to, you know, meet things out, not micromanage. There's a lot of different things. So it's not that God's just going to have one singular calling on your life. He may have multiple places, but boy, do you need to be a person who begins to move away, realizing you can't multitask everything. You've got to give it away uh, all the time. You have to give ministry away because, well, for some people, that's going to be their greater works as well. Don't try to pull it all into yourself and you accomplish and do everything. Usually your struggle there is that you're trying to be the hero of your story and you got to recognize like Jesus did, I have limitations in this body and there's only a certain amount of things that I can effectively do. I have certain callings, certain giftings, and I don't want to get in other people's lanes as well. And I think Jesus was 
so excellent at that. There are a few other things in terms of challenges to this go away to a secluded place, to this listening posture, and that is simply me and potentially you as well. Uh, we get caught up so often, again, in the agendas of others. Jesus clearly did not. Now, we know why. Because he realizes that people around him were mixed bags. I've quoted this to you a number of times. But John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, listen. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knows that I'm a mixed bag as much as I want to be just like him. I'm still, I still suffer from the fall. There are elements of my personality, my actions, and everything. And so the best place you can put your trust is in God's direction for your life, not in the challenges from other people, and not also from yourself. I mean, we have so many challenges, even in our own heart. We so easily get caught up in the agenda of Madison Avenue. You know, we've got to have the best and the biggest and the fastest and the most beautiful and everything else. And we don't even realize that we've gotten on the hamster wheel of expectations placed upon us by our own Madison Avenue Western kind of culture that we live in. And sometimes in that solitude, you might slip away and just be meditative and thinking about God and asking him to speak into your life. And he said, you do really need to pursue that so aggressively. That's bringing a lot of uh, challenges in your life. It's removing you from me and you've, you're on this treadmill. You don't have time for me anymore. Those little subtle things come much better in your spirit as directed by the spirit than me as your pastor sitting down with you and going, you're too busy. You're, you care too much about materialism or this or that or your career or whatever. I don't want to do that. That's legalism. But you need to hear that from the spirit as he would direct you. That happens in the context again of solitude and silence so that the spirit again can speak. And then just sometimes we just get caught up in everything. I'm just telling you, I, this is me. Uh, this is why uh, <laughs> I think Jesus told his disciples, you're going to be fishers of men. Uh, you're you're going to go have to fish for these people. Why? And, well, we were, we're fish. You know, we just kind of swim around. We're sheep. Uh, we just kind of wander around. We get lost every once in a while. I mean, the, the Spirit knows that. Again, where do we get back on track? Silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. So I have so many challenges within myself. So let's think this thing through. Do you think all the angst in your life right now may be a function of other people, things being pressed in on you, you know, the situation you find yourself in? Can I just tell you some of the angst in your life right now might be a function of you not taking the time to hear his voice, to relax, to breathe, to take, you know, to take a deep breath and to see where you are in balance. One of the beautiful things of listening to the Spirit is being able to hear His voice because He will give you shalom, which is a life full of balance and beauty and release and, you know, just wonder, are you too busy to do that? And I, I'm just telling you, our media doesn't allow it. You know, this little device right here, has I think we all know, has changed our society. From newsfeed to this to that to social media, I want to read a little bit of Mark Comer's uh, uh, an excerpt from his book for you here, and I'm just going to talk to you just briefly. This is a little aside here of one of the challenges, a personal challenge that I have, 
and that I think certainly uh, even the generations after me, because I'm tied to this, but there are generations after. I don't spend near the time that I see uh, even my kids and others spending on theirs. And again, this is not a this is not some horrible legalistic challenge. I understand technology. I can't not live with this. I mean, I'd love not to have it. I'd love the only way people can get a hold of me is a smoke signal or a carrier pigeon. But that's just not going to happen, right? I've got to be available, and and it's beautiful. It's made made productivity go up. There's no question. I am I'm not saying this is horrible. There are facets of this that we've got to balance. Now listen to one of his excerpts, again, in the book that I alluded to a minute ago, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Here's what he says. The stats are ominous. 75% of people sleep next to their phones and 90% of us check our phones immediately upon waking. I can't think of a worse way to start my day than a text from my work, a glance at email, a quick, you know, sure, right scroll through social media, and a news alert about that day's outrage. That is a surefire recipe for anger, not love, misery, not joy, and definitely not peace. Listen, do not let your phone set your emotional, catch this, your emotional equilibrium and your news feed set your view of the world. Be cautious. Why? Now listen to this. At the risk of coming off angsty or political, remember, freedom of the press is a myth. Yes, the press is free from Washington, D.C.'s oversight, which, you know, I'm all for, but they are still in slavery to the bottom line. Journalism is a for-profit business. Balance this in your mind. I'm just asking you. This is capitalism, friends, no matter how far left the journalists may sound. And the reality is, for reasons both neurobiological and theological, bad news sells. The clickbaity bad news that has something to do with a celebrity, in other words, meaningless trivia, sells even better. As a result, our morning news feed is not an accurate picture of the world. It's, a, it's curated. Do you understand that? Not only with a sociopolitical agenda that is thoroughly secular on both the left and the right, but also with an eye to all that is evil in the world. Rarely to any of what is good because bad news is where the money is. Don't misread me here. I'm not saying you should close your eyes to injustice in the world. da di da di da da He says, I can hear you now. What I'm saying is let prayer set your emotional equilibrium. Catch this. You can be overcome by your surroundings, by people's expectations of you, by so many things. You have to pull away for your own balanced health, mental health. You have to. Don't let this thing set your emotional equilibrium. I love that. Let prayer do that. Let scripture do that. Set your view of the world, he says. Begin your day in the spirit of God's presence and the truth of its scripture. My friends, a a red church in Melbourne, Australia, not us, not Church of the Red Door, but uh, the red church, has this saying, win the day. And by that, what they mean is at the beginning of each day, put your phone on the other side of your house. Don't look at it until after you've spent a little bit of time in devotion to the creator of the universe. I say, he said, God, I say the creator of the universe. Look, this thing's curated. It's not, this thing is not built for your emotional equilibrium. But the mountain, the secluded place, the desert, the ocean, the backyard, the or just beside your bed, that is perfectly built 
for your emotional equilibrium if you are in fact connected to the creator of the universe. So as we start to wind this up, I want to now just address how are we going to do this? Now there is a propensity in, in me and us to say, okay, we're going to take quiet time. Now let's, here's quiet time. Boom, boom, boom. You got to do this. You got to pray. You got to pray the sinner's prayer. Uh, I mean the father's prayer, pardon me. Uh, it's an outline. I mean, all those things are true. I'm not saying that we don't have some kind of metric, some kind of construct, some kind of matrix with which we can see what should a devotional time, a quiet time, a, a just solitude time take, you know, be constructed of. But at the same time, we have to be so cautious that there is time when it's just non-time. Now, as I alluded to you earlier, I was sent a number of articles, some through my newsfeed, others from, you know, uh, friends. And I just, all this came at me in the context of Luke chapter 4. And I want you to look at this. I'm, I'm gonna, forgive me for reading this morning, but these are, these are some profound points. This is a very short article in Inc. Magazine, a secular magazine, obviously. This is not written from a Christian perspective. But the world, again, I'm always fascinated when the world is coming to the conclusion through science and other things that, oh yeah, Jesus had it right. Listen to this. He says, both science and history tell us that getting your daily routine right is essential for success. Now again, they're thinking success means more money, more, you know, whatever. Our success is being in line with God's plans for our life and giving us that kind of shalom that Jesus talked about that was life. He said, you got to get your daily routine right. No wonder the internet is full of articles talking about morning routines of famous people and lists of suggested habits to your, add to your daily schedule. Spend enough time with this kind of advice and it's likely your day will end up crammed with worthy and beneficial activities from gratitude practices to journaling to nature walks and all that kind of thing. Research shows that all these activities are good, but there is a catch to shoving ever more of them into your schedule. Science is just as clear, now catch this, that you also need plenty of non-time in your routine. If, you're crowd, if you crowd your days with every healthy habit out there, you're unlikely to get enough of it. So you don't have enough time, they're position here. And again, a secular article written by uh, Jessica Stillman. You don't have enough non-time in your schedule. First off, what is non-time? Well, she talks about the Art of the Impossible author and TED speaker Stephen Kotler explained recently on a TED Ideas blog, non-time, okay, just being quiet and meditative and just being silent is basically a fancy word. Now catch this, secular article for quiet, alone time when you are insulated from the world's noise and demands. That means what we just talked about, the challenges others give put in your life. They want your well-being. They also don't want to suffer personally if you are hurt or, or you know, that people don't like change, all those kinds of things. Non-time is my term for that vast stretch of emptiness between 4 a.m. when he starts his morning writing session and 7.30 when the rest of the world wakes up. This non-time is in pitch blackness that belongs to no one but me, he writes. The day's pressing concerns have yet to press. So there's time for that ultimate luxury, patience. If a sentence takes two hours to get right, well, who cares? Kotler's mornings sound both luxurious and eye-wateringly early, but non-time isn't just one man's quirky way to get his writing done. Now catch this. And this is where he says, now let's go into the science and the neurobiology here. Pressure forces the brain to focus on the details. 
activating the left hemisphere and blocking out the bigger picture. Now, catch this. Worse, when pressed, we're often stressed. We're unhappy about the hurry, which sours our mood and further tightens our focus. Being time-strapped then can be kryptonite for creativity. And then I would also add from the simplicity of hearing from the Lord, because I think all true creativity comes from heaven, uh, anything that would be profitable for mankind. I, I really do. I think it's the all things good, the Bible says, comes down from the Father of lights. Non-time, in other words, helps us relax enough to see the big picture and allow innovative ideas to bubble to the surface. And hopefully those are God ideas and pictures of your future. The hustle and bustle of daily life or even your well-intentioned morning yoga class can, well, it can scare shy, gawky, newborn ideas away. Lastly, he says, uh, excuse me, Jessica says, Steve Jobs, Albert Einstein, well, they understood all this. Uh, he, might not, he might not have been an expert on neuroscience or creativity, uh, but he understand the truth intuitively. Albert Einstein was a lifelong sailor who insisted that many of his best ideas came to him while he was floating around doing nothing and enjoying his own non-time. Albert Einstein. Steve Jobs, too, was famous, a famous loafer. The time Steve Jobs was putting things off and uh, noodling on possibility was time well spent. Wharton professor Alan Grant told Business Insider about Jobs' long stretches of aimless non-time. And then she kind of finishes her article. So what I want you to see is if the world, folks, if the world is tapping into meditative silence and, and away time and non-time where your schedule's not packed or whatever, and then you just get away to a quiet place. That's what we see with Jesus in Luke 4. He went away to a secluded place. He, he, he created us. He knew this. So he gets away. He spends time with the Father. The Father shows him greater works. He shows him his future. He also shows him his limitations. And he becomes aware of his dust and his image. Both very important buffers. Unbelievable. Created in the image of God, but dust. Unbelievable potential, future, greater works, but dust. And that balance brings in both health to you and to those around you. It's important for my family that I am more balanced. I've had long stretches of my life where I was not balanced. And I look back with some regret, even as the girls were younger. And I did a lot of traveling and a lot of, there was a lot going on. I, I, we tried to maintain some balance and Laura being home with the girls and all that, but it wasn't perfect. We were imperfect parents. But boy, let's keep knowing the balance between, again, greater works. Now, in closing here uh, this morning, I'm going to have our precious friends, uh, Russ and Carol Albright. Uh, Russ, they have taken over kind of our prayer lead uh, here and, and really integral parts of Church of the Red Door. Would Carol and Russ, welcome this morning. And would you mind reading Matthew 11, 25 through 30? Many of us will have known this passage, maybe some by heart, but it's a beautiful way to conclude our morning so that we can truly see exactly what Jesus was calling us to. Go ahead, Russ and Carol, thank you. Good morning, Church at the Red Door. I'm Russ Albright. I'm Carol. And we're coming to you from our year-round home in Indian Wells. The scripture reading today is from Matthew 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son determines to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and we hope to see you very soon. Thanks so much, Albrights. We appreciate you. Appreciate you so much. And so look, what is Jesus saying? His yoke, his teaching, his guidance through the Spirit, his... His path for you, his, his spiritual journey path for you is, is easy. It is light. Now, all the circumstances in your life aren't feeling, don't have the feeling of lightness, sometimes very weighty. But Jesus will carry you through this. You are yoked with him. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so in, in, maybe you're struggling with this, this. You find yourself this morning or whenever you're watching this, you know what, I, I have no non-time. And I'm a, but you know what? I'm also a, a mother of three young kids, or uh, I have a business and it just it, I, there's not enough time in the day, or whatever it is, is crowding out your life. Uh, here's a couple things again that Mark Comer talks about that I, I just found just so simple but so beautiful. First of all, just for a moment, slow down just for a second, even if it's just during the context of you watching this, just slow down. Secondly, just breathe. All right, let's all do it. Just, okay, Lord, you know, I'm right in the middle of doing a message here and I can, my heart rate's up and just, just breathe. Just slow down, breathe. Thirdly, come back to the moment. Don't be in a meeting two hours from now. Don't, don't live in the past, heaven forbid, you know, you're still struggling with something that happened to you or something somebody said yesterday or we, come back to the moment. All right, everybody come. Come on, let's come back to the moment. You, some of you drifted away. He's gone too long again. He should make these 20 minutes. Maybe so. I'm not that good. Bring it back to the present, all right? Receive the good as a gift, whatever that might be. Maybe this morning feels like just like a gift, like a breath of fresh air from your creator. Write something right that you needed. Or maybe you're going through a very difficult situation. Well, go ahead and accept the hard as a pathway to peace. You know, that's something we do in faith. I know I'm going through a very difficult time, a bad diagnosis, a difficult relational challenge, a, a financial issue, whatever. Recognize and just trust by faith that this is in fact, accept it, even as difficult as it is, but it is a pathway ultimately to peace in your life. And then lastly, just abide. Just abide in the Lord. Can you imagine the kind of buoyant community, the, the compassionate, present, you know, when you... People aren't running past each other and saying, hey, you know, and then running and thinking of where they've got to go next. What kind of community would be if we were able to take on the easy yoke and live this lifestyle of Jesus? I'm telling you, it would be an attractive community. People be breaking the walls down. When we finally re-meet, people be breaking the walls down to get in to see what kind of Kool-Aid we've been drinking. I'm telling you, part of that cocktail is practicing the lifestyle of Jesus. And in and what we've seen today, very simple, part of that is silence and solitude, non-time, time away, move away from some of this. You don't need to be on social media that much. Move away, embrace the moment, be present, breathe, relax, and just simply abide. Okay, I'm gonna turn this now over to Pastor Paul for communion this morning. 
love you guys. I miss you so much. Uh, we do have a little um, special thing coming up. We're going to try to do online for Easter. Uh, more of that will be coming up uh, soon. But Pastor Paul, would you lead us on into communion, this being our first Sunday of the month. Have a great day.